Hi, good morning, Access family. Today, I want to preach on the subject of courage. We had this series lined up months ago before the pandemic began. But as I was preparing for this message, I struggled because I wasn't feeling very courageous. Simple things like taking walks brought me fear as I shared a sidewalk with dozens of people. Even having the luxury of getting my groceries delivered was not enough to deter my fears from triggering as I thought about the virus lingering on the surfaces of our food items. Then there's just the ambient fear of not knowing what the future holds, economically, school start dates, celebrations that were meant to take place, all on top of the fear of getting COVID-19. Fear and anxiety are our current reality. But what does it look like to live in this reality while still holding to the belief that Christ has overcome death? Last month, Disney gifted families with an early release date of Frozen 2 on Disney Plus. And since then, I've been seeing two, three, four-year-old girls on social media singing at the top of their lungs. That is our very own Access member, Elena, who is just four years old with her cousins and her sister. The artists at Disney are pure genius. They are able to embolden timid little girls to belt out these crazy high notes at the top of their lungs with such confidence and passion. I mean, do these little girls even know what they're singing? I don't even fully understand the whole meaning of the lyrics to this song. But here they are singing the words into the unknown with a bold and courageous, free and wild spirit. And that's what I imagine when I think of life with the resurrected Jesus, that in this season, of residing in the unknown, we can still boldly and courageously sing of God's glory while still being afraid of whether we're going to be safe, while still doubting if our future is going to be okay, and while still wondering if God's protection is enough. Let's pray. Lord, let your word speak to us this morning that in our fears, we could experience courage that comes from knowing you, our risen Savior. Amen. Our passage this morning is from John chapter 20. It's another account of the post-resurrection story from the Apostle John. What's unique about this particular account is how he zooms in on the character of Mary Magdalene, whom we'll focus our attention on this morning. 
<clears throat> I've chosen Mary Magdalene because she's an example of courage that we can learn from in our present day. To give you a backdrop, it's the third day after Jesus's crucifixion. Mary and the other women go to the tomb and they find that it's empty. They run as fast as they could to Peter and John to tell them that Jesus's body was taken from the tomb and has gone missing. The disciples ran to the tomb with the women and saw strips of linen and burial cloth inside the tomb, but no body. <clears throat> and now let's pick up from verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus's body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Mary, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. At the start of this passage, we see that upon finding an empty tomb, the disciples went back to the comfort and familiarity of their homes. We know from other texts, that they were scared the Pharisees would go after them next. They were worried about what life would look like without Jesus. After leaving everything behind to serve with him in ministry for three years, their futures were uncertain. Mary was in a similar boat. She served with Jesus for a while in his ministry. In Luke 8, we know that Mary was healed by Jesus when she was possessed by seven demons that were cast out. She was one of several women who traveled with Jesus around Galilee, supplying him and his disciples with the funds and resources they needed to live. So she had a very close relationship with Jesus, similar to the disciples. But Mary did something radically different. What we see that sets her apart is that she had the courage to engage in her grief and her loss. She stayed outside the tomb and wept. A few weeks ago, I went back to our church building to gather some supplies for our kids' online classes, and I stood outside the entrance of our kids' space, and I felt intense emotions of grief and lamented, this is not how it ought to be. I then made my way into the worship space and I just lost it. The Saturday after Houston's first community spread COVID-19 case was our spring parent workshop and that ended up being postponed the staff team had the worship space all 
set up for the event. And the setup was still there. It was like time had just froze. And I felt a deep loss of plans and preparations and vision of what could have and should have been. Our tears and our lament are not wasteful. We hear the words when growing up, there's no use crying. But what's so powerful about Mary's weeping is that because she engaged in her grief and her loss, because she stayed at the tomb, she got to encounter Jesus. It's really quite intriguing that before she realized that Jesus was in fact alive, two angels first appeared to her and asked her one question. Why are you crying? Mary responds, and then Jesus appears and asks the question again. Why are you crying? What is it? Who is it you are looking for? And he asked these questions when he obviously knows the answers to these questions. One of the things that we parents often do, but don't mean to do, is when we see our child crying, we say, don't cry. We wanna do whatever we can to just make the crying stop. But what experts teach parents and caregivers to do is to acknowledge the sadness, to say, I see that you're you're crying. I see that you're sad. I see that you're upset. For older kids, we might ask them, can you tell me why you're crying? Can you share? Can you share your feelings with me? And as they respond, there's validation of their feelings, that they matter. There's comfort and maybe even healing because someone cares enough to ask. Someone cares enough to want to understand. Someone cares enough to listen. And so when God sent the angels to come and Jesus himself even asked Mary the same question, why are you crying? We can have confidence in knowing that God welcomes all our emotions, even the negative ones, even our lament, because it matters to him. Because he knows he can offer the care and the comfort that we need in our time of grief and loss. Brene Brown discusses this idea of comparative suffering. It's the idea of how we assess and rank our own pain and hurt and use that assessment to deny our permission to feel. She uses an example like, I can't be scared for my children because there are homeless kids that have it way worse off than us right now. And I must be a bad person because I'm angry and other people have it worse than me. Because of these thoughts, we end up denying our emotions, thinking that they'll just go away on their own, but they don't. They take root 
and the roots grow deeper and it just gets worse. The incredible thing about empathy is that the more we practice giving empathy to ourselves, the more we can empathize with others. There's an infinite supply of empathy to go around and an immense number of people who need it, especially during this crisis. So let's stop comparing our suffering and instead focus on attending to our emotions. Practice empathy and self-compassion and give empathy to those around us. So let me ask you again, what is your grief and loss that you need to bring before Jesus? Someone in our church shared with me that she started a pandemic journal where she writes and draws out her thoughts, feelings, and reactions to what's happening. I thought this was a brilliant idea. Sometimes we are so caught up with our input in this time of scarcity. We're absorbing and collecting so much information and knowledge on a daily basis that we forget the things we need to let out and release, to let go of, to sit face to face with, in a way that's nourishing for our soul. But we might have images, colors, maybe even emojis, whatever it is, it's good for our soul to have a place to release. And if you're like me and you have a difficult time accessing these emotions sometimes, I like to listen to worship music to help me be still and soak in the words. Now that we're online, you can always play back the worship music that Jessica and her team leads us in each Sunday, just to prepare yourself for even five minutes of attending to your emotions. And if you ever need a, feel a need for a deeper dive in what's happening internally, that maybe you've buried long before this pandemic, I wanna remind you that we have a partnership with Shieldbearer that provides online counseling where our church will actually subsidize a portion of the cost based on need. So please utilize this resource that's meant to serve you. Let's continue. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. When we lived in LA, we got to visit quite a few new restaurants, which is one of our favorite things to do. I became a Yelp elite reviewer in 2007. 
back then when we could, we could visit a lot more restaurants because we just had one child. For those of you who might not know, Yelp is a place online where you can look up restaurants in your city, read reviews, and rate the restaurant after visiting. If you frequently write reviews, you become a part of the Yelp elite squad. Though it's much less frequent, we still like to visit new restaurants. And it's funny because whenever we find one we like, John likes to tell people, Grace just found this awesome new restaurant that you have to try. And one time I overheard him telling someone this on the phone and afterwards I said, I didn't really find or discover anything. I just saw it on Yelp. And John's like, no, no, no. It's a huge deal being the first to tell our friends or our relatives about this great new place. Because if they like it, you get credit for finding it in the first place. I kind of minimize the idea of being the first to tell our people, but I think John's onto something here. When the resurrected Jesus wanted to make his first appearance, he could have done this with anyone, but he chose Mary. He could have asked Mary to go get the disciples and bring them to him, but he chose Mary to be the first to proclaim and bring the good news that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, the most important event of all of history. And Mary got to be the first witness and the first to proclaim it. All four gospels mention Mary Magdalene as being the first witness to Jesus's death and resurrection. This is truly an incredible honor. And this is especially true in a society that doesn't even recognize women as valid witnesses in court. In fact, we see this inequality play out in Luke 24, when she tells the disciples what she saw, just as Jesus told her to do. They did not believe the women because their words seem to them like nonsense. I wonder what gave Mary this courage to run back, knowing her status in society, to share what she had seen and heard from Jesus himself. Where does this courage come from? I believe it came from her relationship with Jesus. She was so consumed by her fear and anxiety of being alone that she didn't even recognize Jesus's voice at first and thought she was talking with the gardener until he had said one word, Mary. When Jesus said her name, she instantaneously knew he was right there with her and cried out to him, Rabboni, which is an affectionate and affectionate form of saying teacher. And she reached out for him. And it was in that moment when she realized 
she was no longer alone. He was standing with her. Courage comes from relationships. It comes from solidarity of knowing that we are not doing it alone. Courage comes from knowing that we can stand together to get through difficult seasons. Some of us are already in a season of great distress with job loss and instability, fractured marriages, parenting fails, sleepless nights. These are life challenges that weren't meant to be endured alone. And so I want to urge you to reach out to a few people whom you can share what's going well and what's devastating. These are people who can speak truth to you and say, your job loss does not define you. Your marriage is worth saving. Your yelling at the kids does not make you a bad parent. Courage comes from being in relationships and it's these relationships that will help us survive and thrive through this pandemic and post-pandemic season. If you are feeling relationally wealthy during this time of social distancing, I wanna encourage you to reach out. Not all of us have the relational connections to help us stay afloat during this time. Not all of us have the family members, the relatives, the close-knit friends that we can depend on for our relational and emotional needs. So I wanna encourage you to pray and ask God to bring people to mind, people who might need an email, a text, a phone call from us just to check in and see how they're doing. This is an opportunity to love extravagantly with the simple greeting. The Lord brought you to mind today. How have you been? And how can I pray for you and support you as we go through this together? In just a two-week period in March, Asian Americans have experienced over 1,000 types of racism as a result of COVID-19 being called the Chinese virus by some of our nation's most influential leaders. People, even children, are getting hurt, seriously injured. When I saw a picture of a young Asian American child who was severely wounded because of a racist attack in a popular wholesale store right here in Texas, it hit, too, it hit too close to home to, for me. I am so afraid for the safety of my family and our people, especially once this quarantine is all over and, and we are in public spaces again. People are going to want to blame others and for the, for the pandemic, and we are a prime target. Last week, our lead team made a decision to support and endorse a statement written by the Asian American Christian Collaborative to stop the xenophobic rhetoric and hate crimes against our people. It has received thousands of signatures, not just by Asians and Asian Americans, but also by friends 
and allies of our community. This joint commitment to stand together gives our community courage to face whatever may come our way when we return to public spaces. Courage comes from relationships. It comes from the solidarity of knowing that we are not doing it alone. And finally, let us have courage to reimagine and reinvent our future. Now is the time for us to examine how we were living life before and how we want our future to look. What am I experiencing now that I missed out on before because I was rushing from place to place? What are we doing together in our marriage or family life that we want to continue after all this is over? And how can this pandemic be an opportunity for us to grow in our relationship with God and with those around us? Thinking about these questions takes courage because it means letting go of what once was. It means letting go of some of our personal ambitions. It might mean putting travel on hold for a while. And for a lot of us, that was a great escape from reality. Most of us are waiting for things to go back to normal, but there's a good chance that things will not be the same. And so it's important for us to have rhythms that can ground us and the things that truly matter to us and that helps us thrive and be brave in our present day and in our future. And it doesn't have to be an extraordinary thing. They can be small, measurable and achievable things like a daily walk or bike ride with your family. It's the morning coffee that you savor unhurriedly while you do breath prayers to start your day or inviting your kids to cook with you, or an online Pictionary game with the family to wind down your day. We are learning spiritual life lessons from preschoolers this morning. Here's my four-year-old son, Noah, who has truly found his happy place. He sat in this chair savoring his apple slices for almost 20 minutes without a care in the world. And that's what he's been doing almost every day, is sitting in that chair, taking his time, and enjoying his snacks. Yes, with his shoes on, which I don't normally allow, but I couldn't interrupt this child from his peaceful sanctuary. It was life-giving for him and it was life-giving for me to watch him. Where is your sanctuary and your safe place? It is courageous work to step away to do something restorative and healing for your mind, body, and soul when all the needs around you are so massive. But we need to reimagine and reinvent our future if we want to thrive through this pandemic and post-pandemic season. Here's the thing. God doesn't leave us 
to figure life out on our own. He has given us things that we can hold on to. Between the first advent of Christ to the second advent of Christ, he leaves us with three things. The sacraments, baptism and communion, the word of God, and the Holy Spirit. And he tells us, until I return, these are the things you have to guide you, to help you remember my love, to help you resist temptation, to help remind you that you are loved and you are enough, to help you love even the most difficult people to love, to help you forgive as I have forgiven you, to help you to know the truth because the truth sets you free. Jesus has given us everything we need to live a life of courage, even when we feel afraid, even when we're in despair, even when we feel helpless, powerless, and defeated. When Jesus' disciples thought they were alone after Jesus was placed in the tomb, they were afraid because life was so unknown, similar to how many of us might be feeling now. But Jesus offers us these words in John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, take courage, I have overcome the world. May we experience God's loving presence as we courageously stand together through this time. For the last several weeks, healthcare workers have been heavy on my heart. They are on the front lines providing care for various patients and many of them haven't had the proper supplies to maintain safety. I see these healthcare professionals as examples of courage during this pandemic. And I've invited Dr. Teresa Lerng, one of our ACCESS members, to share with us her experiences these last few weeks. Teresa is an ophthalmologist at the VA and is married to Michael, who's an optometrist at the VA. And together they have four kids ranging from seven months old to six years old. Let's welcome Teresa. Hi everyone. I want to share with you what life has been like for Michael and me and our family. When the first cases of COVID hit our hospital, I realized there was a pretty good chance that I could become exposed to the virus. There were a lot of emails going out that employees were testing positive and it started to feel like dominoes falling and I felt like it was only a matter of time before it was me. Um, for my job, I see patients and do procedures that are six inches from a patient's face and we didn't have any N95 masks in the clinic. Um, so I was starting to feel really worried um, and, and just fearful, more so for the fact that I could expose my family if I get sick. For those that don't know, we have four kids in our family. Uh, Justin is six, Nathan is four, Noel is two, and Ryan is a baby, he's seven months. So I was really worried that I would get the baby sick. 
Uh, Michael and I talked a lot about what we would do. I know there are a lot of healthcare workers out there right now who are either living in garages or sequestering themselves in one room in the house in order to protect the kids. I know there are some spouses that only see their kids when they're outdoors. For us, with four kids, um, it just wasn't a feasible option. And um, I even joke with Michael that he's lucky we have four kids and not two. Because if we had two, I would definitely be making him, um, him and the kids live apart from me. But I was getting more worried um, day after day. And uh, my, my brother, who's also uh, in healthcare, he's a family doctor and he has a newborn, so he was equally as desperate as I was. And somehow he got his hands on some N95 masks. He paid a ridiculous price for them. And he dropped some off at the doorstep for me. And so I went to work for the first time in weeks with the N95 mask and I felt a little safer. I also felt very guilty because I was the only one in the entire department of 40 or 50 people that had an N95 mask. So that day I went home, I just felt like I had to do something. And I don't know why I did this, but I ended up calling the local news station and I talked to a reporter and I asked her if she could please get the word out that there are a lot of doctors and nurses and technicians and people in hospitals and clinics that just don't have N95 masks. The other thing I did was I reached out to the local medical society and I just asked them, you know, please, can you help us out? Um, so I ended up meeting up with the president of the medical society in the Kroger parking lot on a Wednesday night at 8 p.m. And he joked around and said that he, it felt like a drug deal to him because, you know, he pulled up his car alongside mine and then we both rolled down the windows. And then he handed me this box and I looked inside and there were 40 or 50 N95 masks. And I just couldn't believe it. I brought it to work the next day and my supervisor handed them out and everyone put it on immediately. What does a typical day look like for me when I get home? Um, after I, I've you know, jumped in the shower and put the scrubs in the washer, you know, I, I put on this mask. This is the mask that I wear when I'm at home with the kids. Um, the reality is I've seen so many patients and done so many procedures. Um, I've even seen patients from California and Louisiana that haven't self-quarantined like the governor said. So this is my way of protecting my family. Um, there are days when uh, I wish I didn't have to wear a mask, and sometimes Justin, um, my oldest, uh, when I put him to bed, sometimes he'll ask me um, at night, you know, mommy, can you take off your mask and give me a real kiss? But um, he knows, he understands that we're all doing our part, and, and we do a lot of hugs to make up for the kisses. What would I say to the non-essential workers who are staying at home? I would say that, you know, for the body of believers, you know, each of us, when it comes to prayer and interceding, each of us is essential. There's no such thing as a non-essential believer in the body of Christ. So let's all um, just keep praying as this pandemic continues to play out. And not just for the healthcare workers, but, you know, even for the grocers, the custodians, you know, anyone who's out there um, still working, you know, I'm sure they feel like me most days. Uh, what gives me the courage to face my fears each day? I don't feel courageous most days, um, or any day, really. Uh, there's a sense of relief when I get home or from, from work that, you know, I've made it through the day. You know, I'm not sure if I saw anyone who was COVID positive, but at least I've made it through the day. Um, when I'm outside and I see the sun shining, you know, it just, it's just a reminder that, you know, there could be this, there's this crazy pandemic going on, but at the same time, the Lord hasn't changed. 
You know, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his mercies are still new every morning for each of us. And so I cling to those truths and I cling to um, what I know uh, will never change, which is God's love for us, for his people. So uh, thank you everyone for listening. Um, I hope everyone can stay safe out there. Take care, everyone. Thank you, Teresa, for sharing so vulnerably. And thank you to the rest of you, all the other medical professionals in our community. We are so grateful for you, and we know that you are sacrificing so much. And um, we just want to pray for you right now um, as a community. Lord, we want to pray for your hand of protection to be upon all the healthcare and medical staff in our community. We pray, Lord, that they would know that you are with them wherever they go, that they will know that your presence is right there with them. And we pray that your hand of protection would be upon them, that you would keep them from harm, from illness, that you would protect their families, their children, that you would give them calm in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of the stress. So we ask, Lord, that you would surround them with your love and your care. And we pray, Lord, that our community would know how to support them through this. Thank you for um, each one of them and thank you for their courage. And thank you, Lord, for calling them to serve um, the communities in this way. We pray these things in your name. Amen. And now let's um, say our sending prayer together. Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity. In Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus, amen. Have a blessed and safe week, everyone. See you next time.